Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. And I said, I want to win the league, but I want to win it better. You can understand that, can't you? Yes. Good luck. So he's almost like having a second captain in the team. Second captain, first captain, whatever. Hello and welcome to the Irish Times Second Captain Pod, Second Captain's Podcast. Owen Murph and Ken pre World Cup quarter final. I've already made a stumble, Murph, and that brings okay. the fatalistic Irish gene out in me. I think we're now <laughs> approaching the quarterfinal stage. We're doomed. If I make a mistake in the first line of the podcast, we haven't got a. Certainly, that's not a good sign. Pascal Pape is fast becoming the Thierry Henry to the Irish rugby classes. Ken, mm. so says Neil Francis. So I saw, yeah. Yeah, so Pape essentially, we knew that the one match ban was in place from uh, earlier on in the week after that lengthy hearing. But what's happened over the last 24 hours or so is there's been a 15 page document detailing all the, um, essentially everything that went on at that hearing. Amongst it was a phone call to Pape by the uh, people involved there, the Beaks, Ken. Mm-hmm. Said, hey, Pascal, what happened there? I mean, are you, is this something you want to brush under the carpet or do you want to maybe give us quite a lot of detail? And he said, I'll go the detail route, please. <laughs> what happened was I received a violent punch on the area of the sternum. Due, oh. to, due to the instant pain, I collapsed to the ground and couldn't breathe. I received care from Dr. Grizzoli. All along the game, I felt a violent pain in the area where I'd been beaten. Then they said, hey, would you pass the phone to that doctor then? You mentioned a doctor there. Yeah. So he says, here, doc. Do- doctor comes over. Yeah. And the doctor says, oh, he's in a bad way. Yeah. This guy couldn't train Tuesday. Yeah. Struggled the entire match. Well, Lucky just, to get uh, out of it with his life. <laughs> so they, um, yeah, they didn't help the Irish cause there. I mean, Sean O'Brien, as we said on Monday, should have been ban- uh, had to be banned and lost his composure. Was there any evidence, uh, any detail on what what had led up, what had immediately preceded this? Um, I haven't got, I haven't got a read of the fifteen, from, uh, all fifteen uh, pages yet, Ken. I, I understand that Pape groped Mr. O'Brien's buttocks. Well, he seemed to be lower back, upper buttock area, and. Uh, yeah, I saw Neil Francis. Um, well, he thinks Pape should be in the dock. Yeah, Fran has gone the totally opposite route to uh, the well, rest of the world. Well, who, Fran- who think Sean O'Brien's very lucky to only have a one match ban. Well, Frano said uh, ideally the TMO would have been on on the ball and he would have sinbinned O'Brien for ten minutes and then everyone would have forgotten about it. And maybe Pape would have been sinbinned as well because he, after all, engaged in some ungentlemanly activities. And and Francis's point was why do we punish the retaliator? Instead of the taliator. He looked up the dictionary for a word, for the word taliate, but there is no such word. Yeah, to, to commit the first offence, to rub your, to, to run your fingers along another man's buttocks at, if, if uh, I, at a rook, in, from an offside position. If I could take you uh, into Franoland. Uh, oh, please do. Uh, Franoland consists of a world where Sean O'Brien would have been able to turn around and punch Pascal Pape not in the chest, but in the chops. In the chops, punch him one of the chops, and uh, he would be sent on his way with nothing more than a firm. A well rebuke. done from the referee. <laughs> yeah, well, actually, yes. And Pape, we'll Pape would have got the rebuke. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Pape would have been rebuked. Don't and try Sean that again, son. Would have been commended for his work well in done, maintaining Sean. high standards, Thanks, high Defend. standards of behaviour in rugby. The principles of the game. Yeah. Look, you know, I can, I can see. It. I mean, his point was. Why do these provocateurs not get punished? Why is it only the man, the honest man, who reacts maybe a little bit too honestly 
to this kind of provocation. Why is he considered to have committed a greater crime? And I think the reason for that is that he punched a guy. <laughs> so the problem is that the retaliation was a bit too much. I mean, if Pape had punched him in an unprovoked way, Pape would also be suspended for the next I, A lot of the ill feeling towards Pape is also a remnant of his horrible knee into the back of Jamie Heaslip in the Six Nations, after which he apologised to Heaslip, fair enough, eventually. And Heaslip took that, Heaslip was a big man uh, afterwards, was, was big on... And he actually said this in the Jared Regan interview on an Irishman Abroad podcast. He said, look, I'm, what happens in the field stays in the field. Pape apologised to me. That's absolutely fine. That's it, done. Whereas the Pape, what Pape is doing now is not uh, going along the that route of mm. what happens in the field stays in the field. It's, I'm going to actually land these guys in it. That's why people are annoyed with Pape. Still, O'Brien punched the guy in the chest. Yeah. Mm. I, I, to be honest, I read the, the, the Frano article. I was just, this is... Absurd. This is completely wrong-headed. I mean, that, that you could have a sport that would be... that the, the, the sport that Frano envisages is one where a guy gets a punch in the head and he this is a sign of good discipline. This well, is All of our rules are a, working correctly. Self, this guy got a punch in the head. It's self-policing. Self-policing game. Like, you know, I mean, I think he, he has a reason... Maybe he does have a point in terms of the the TMO point. You know, if, if O'Brien had been simmed, if he, if he could have punished the offence at the time... Um, maybe that would have been a better outcome. Of course, Ireland then would have been a man down for Yeah, I'm not minutes. sure how good an outcome that would have been for Ireland, yeah. uh, being a man yeah. down for 10 minutes at the very start of the game. Yeah, maybe. But I think the um, I, th- I think the, the point that we need to raise about Pascal Pape as well, by the way, the, the, these comments, the comment of the doctor, we should see this as France hailing us as potential World Cup finals. That's what this is. Because the only reason why, to, why Pape and then the doctor would come on and speak like so... Uh, completely contrary to what usually happens in these where it's like oh well you know he's mm. shown up Brian's a good man he punched me but I want to leave it at that the only reason they could possibly think that is that if we get him a three match man when we play them in the final he'll still be gone that's the only reason why they would they, why they would you come out something know. like this yeah. uh, to which I would say French nation there's no way you're beating the All Blacks so uh, <laughs> you might as well just have been sound lads about it the real villain we're going to be there just you guys you're probably not going to hold up your end of the bargain that's all I'm saying the real villain of world rugby this week, though, lads. Boris Johnson. Have you seen the video? Yeah, I'm sure you've seen it. Yeah, we've, yeah. uh, we've seen the video already. So Boris Johnson, is is he in Japan uh, on some sort of, oh, whatever he's on? He's do, doing a little bit of PR. There's a video taking place. There's a game taking place on a very small pitch. He's in Japan, yeah. Yeah, he's vi- visiting a bunch of school kids here. And they're just playing a little bit of, essentially, tip rugby. Boris Johnson has handed the ball at one point. Besides, you know, this, this last defender here is a lot smaller than I am. If I just... Give him the old handoff. I'm through for a try here. Which he does. Mm. He knocks a little kid over, barrels through him, still falls over himself. So actually fails to <laughs> fails to score the try there. Maybe there, was a, there was a second a double, movement, double yeah. movement there. I, I've not oh, given it to him. The latest Boris Johnson smashing into people. The last time it was a fully grown German adult, though. This yeah. time it's a yeah. No one Japanese had any problem kid. with that. The 10-year-old Japanese kid, though. That's not... That's not, that's not good politics. Now the, the, in the case of the, the uh, German adult... Uh, Maurizio Gaudino that was in a charity match and Boris Johnson he tried some actually German style uh, high pressing Uh, he charged at Gaudino who saw this you know bulging uh, shirted sort of uh, blonde headed bull charging straight at him and you can see him what he's going to try and do here is just a little nutmeg he just waits for the for the bull to charge and then he's going to try just a little nutmeg and, and sort of dance to the right out of the way but unfortunately Boris Johnson just trips and <laughs> smashes straight into him skull to groin mm-hmm. right his groin makes a crushing impact against the pubic bone of Maurizio Gaudino and it's no joke I mean it's you know it, it, it is a joke it's the, the red top the joke of the century horror tackle it was a, it was a, a, it was a heart tackle. tackle but this one was deliberate this time he was he was in control of his movements. This time I he actually know, okay. leans the shoulder into the ten year old kid and catches him right kind of right around the shoulder and head. Like yeah, imagine he has to go down low to get a shoulder and drive through that child to uh, to try and get to the line. There's no need. He could just run past the child, I but he actually dips the shoulder and takes it into into Murph, can contact. You, can you limit the damage here? I to be honest, I think that Boris Johnson is incapable of running. At top speed for any more than four, three steps. or four meters, yeah. But four, four, four steps, steps is, at low meters. Four steps there is his absolute limit. Thereafter, his uh, he gets quite discombobulated. Yeah, his internal workings. The system begins to fail. Sort of there slowly... is a total system failure, and uh, he's more than likely going to go to eat dirt 
it was a bit like I've, I was watching on a couple of videos of the, of this guy Will Skelton. Skelton. Well, a bit late now. He was ruled out before the tournament even started. Big Aussie man. It was a bit like that. I've seen a few a few instances um, involving this guy, which reminded me of Boris Johnson against the Japanese. Uh, Will Skelton is a kid. large. He's creature. a he's apparently on 140 kilograms. What's that normal money now, Ken? 22 stone. 22 and a half stone. It's no, 22 boy. stone. He's a big boy. That is. Uh, it's it's. I mean, have you actually seen videos? Yeah, of I've I've seen the gentleman. He's a, he's a he's a big lad, all right. Matt Williams is going to be in studio with us very shortly, and we're also going to talk to this man. Yes, indeed, a try for Los Pumas, scored there by Diego Albanese against Ireland in Lons in 1999. We probably didn't need to bring up that memory of that particular game, but, uh, you know, the fatalism is, is, is here in full swing today. Simon Albanese, bit of a legend. Well, he's uh, Irish rugby's Gary Mackay. Uh, that try led to the review of Irish rugby and everything, Brian O'Driscoll, Paul O'Connell, World Cup quarterfinals, beating Southern Hemisphere teams. And the moment we're at now, facing Argentina, red-hot favourites against Argentina, <laughs> is because of Diego. So we thought we'd bring him on the show to thank him. Sounds good enough to me. Uh, I want to let you know right at the start of the show, or at least early on here, that we have got a live podcast coming, uh, a live event next Wednesday night. This is with thanks to our kind sponsors, Rabo Direct. That's Wednesday, October 21st, in the Sugar Club. Hopefully we will be preparing for a World Cup semi-final well, we won't be preparing but we'll be preparing to talk about a World Cup semi-final featuring nah, Ireland putting equal amounts of work in <laughs> yeah exactly uh, just getting our systems correct early on in the week uh, the mind gym hopefully Murph's mind gym will be all cluttered up there with some blow semi-final the, talks blow the cobwebs off Thoughts, that particular gym yeah. so that's next Wednesday if you want to get tickets just get on to secondcaptains.com and have a look at the details there uh, US Murph is going to be on to talk about the Chicago Cubs today if you remember us going through U.S. immigration, or immigration, I should say, uh, pre-clearance on yeah. the Ireland side, going to our San Francisco trip, I was chatting away to uh, the officer there. Officer? Whatever you yeah. call those people. Yeah. Uh, sometimes they can be kind of difficult and somewhat cringy conversations. Yeah. You just, you just really want to just walk through and you're being asked all these questions. This guy was great. He was chatting away about sport once I said I was going over there to, do, to cover sport. Uh, and then he said, well, you know, the Cubs are going well this year. And I said, oh, of course I know that, because I wanted to impress upon yeah. him all my knowledge. Uh, and he said, my, my mother um, is in her later years, and all I want is for her to live to see the Cubs win the World Series. They haven't even been in a World Series since uh, the early 1900s or something mm. like that. And they're going really well this year, so we're going to talk to US Murph about that today. But Matt Williams has landed in studio. Matt, how are, are you excited? How can you not be? <laughs> it's just been incredible, hasn't it? It's just yeah. been, just, just each day you don't think, well, that can't get any better. You know, you watch the Australians defend, you thought, well, that was the most courageous thing I've seen for a long time and against Wales. And the next day, what, what Ireland put in was quite, quite exceptional. Just, you know, it's one of those days, one of those days where the, the, uh, the group are, are greater than the individuals involved. They, they did something that was just quite simply amazing, defied every, every odd, every expectation. And I was saying... There, uh, after the game, everyone in the world watching that game expected Ireland to lose. I think even the Irish supporters at halftime were seeing Paul on a stretcher, you know, just, just some of the most horrid sights mm-hmm. that you could ever see. And actually, as I was on TV through, I said, we're not showing that again. Don't. We're not showing that. We don't want his family to see it. We're not showing this again. Oh, really? So w- w- once the initial replays are being shown... Yeah, I, I said, look, let's, let's, let's not, not stop this. Let's you stop don't need this. the gory yeah, sort of details. No, I don't, we don't need... You know, you got to think of people's family, and you know, you just want to see this great man. Um, because it was excessive pain, as because there's lots of injuries on a rugby field. Yeah, there is, mate. He was just he was just writhing in agony. I just thought it was pictures we didn't need to see uh, repeatedly. It had happened, and let's 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 get up, get away from it, you know. And uh, and, and and to the TV through credit, they didn't. And but at that point, they were, everyone in the world thought they were beaten. And then, you know, it just tells you about sport. It's what the, the 20 guys in the change room think. It doesn't matter what the millions of people around the world think. It doesn't matter what everyone else thinks. It's what those guys walking on the field, wearing the jersey, the most basic of instructions you'd give to an under-13 side. And they just came out and gave it a go. And you could see them building and building and building. And you often see this in sport where there's a, a, a red card or something. You know, the, the teams face adversity. And they come through this adversity and lift and rise, and, and it was 
truly wonderful to watch. The build-up so far this week, it's it's obviously going to change now as the week moves on, but uh, it's been about injuries at the start of the week and O'Connell, O'Mahony, these guys, and it still is about whether or not Sexton's going to be okay and Earls uh, is presumably going to be okay. The suspension to Sean O'Brien, a one-game suspension. The rest of the world seems to be angry at that. They felt he should have been banned for longer. A lot of people in Ireland are angry at Pascal Pape because over the last little while, the full judgment has been has been sort of released and Pape was fairly sticking the knife in there along with his doctor. Where do you stand on that at this stage of the week? Well, it's actually a nice, uh, a nice little tale that I can tell here. No one else knows. Terry Willis is the uh, in charge of the uh, judiciary there. He's an old mate of mine from Sydney and I played against Terry for many years and he was an open side flanker. And I can promise you that he knows all about punching people because he punched me on several occasions <laughs> over the years. And I always remind him of it and he doesn't like it. <laughs> he was a great open side, but he's a, he's a very uh, eminent, very eminent and highly experienced uh, legal mind. He's a lovely bloke. And a, as I say, he's an open side flanker himself, a good quality rugby player. Uh, look, I, I, to be really honest, um, I was hoping Sean didn't get caught. There's pretty much no doubt. You, you use a clenched fist. And Terry's left with no option. And Keith Wood at the time said three weeks, actually. Uh, so I think he's got one. I think he's been pretty lucky. But I, I don't think we in Ireland um, should be trying to say that there was a conspiracy theory or anything like that. There wasn't. It was it was a guilty product. All right, he's gone now. Paul O'Connell obviously gone. Peter Mahoney gone. We'll wait and see what happens with the other, um, the other doubts this week. But... One of the arguments that I've heard made is that the realisation of the loss of these players will hit harder during the week than it did when the adrenaline's already up, when the substitutes just come on, they're all keyed in. You can nearly be brutal enough to forget about Paul O'Connell, forget about Peter O'Mahony when they go off, because you have to, because you've got your job to do. But when there's a week to think about it, it can actually be counterproductive. That's when the leadership void comes in. I'd agree with that too. And I I think uh, one thing we've noticed at this World Cup, which... I think the public are now becoming aware of, which in coaching you've known for many, many years, is is the emotional recovery. So you don't just physically recover from games, you have to emotionally recover. And you have to emotionally recover from highs as well as lows. So that young group of guys would have come off that field. You could see Ian Madigan's reaction, which I thought was a magnificent oh, reaction. Oh, great. Yeah. It was wonderful, yeah. you know. And, and Mallow Kelly said something to me, you know, that he'd been behind Gosper, he'd been, you know, at Leinster, he hadn't been able to get out, hadn't been able to prove himself, and here he was. Everyone doubting him. I doubt him. I, I reckon he doubted himself too. Yeah. And all of a sudden he turned up. I think that's what that was yeah. about. Yeah, me too. And, and I proved something to myself. Yeah, yeah. And, and here's my opportunity. Here's my stage. I did it. And that'll take a lot of recovering. Yeah, it will. Um, I think that's where people criticised in the past, you know, Jamie being captain and, you know, you've got – and this is where it's, you have to blood young guys. You have to say, look, there's a couple of games here, Jamie, we need you to lead. Because now look what happens. It's the biggest game <laughs> – We've had in years, and, and we need a new captain. What would happen if Jamie had never never been captain of Leinster, never been captain of Ireland? That's why these, these these processes in the early days are so important. And he's been trained at the at the knees of O'Driscoll and O'Connell. And, and let me tell you, Rory Best is also one of the best captains I've ever I've ever worked with. Rory's an exceptional leader, and uh, he will be a great a great wingman there for for Jamie. And he will be taking a huge amount of responsibility into that, uh, into that uh, group. When you take in all the disruptions, uh, the hearing obviously into Sean O'Brien dragging quite late on into night and Tuesday, we still don't know about Earls and Sexton. Um, the fact that our whole back row is now going to be completely shuffled around, does it affect things to the point where we change our game plan? Like, Is it a fundamental alteration of how Joe Schmidt approaches this game? Uh, no. If you change, you know, too much change is not good. Is they've got a massive amount of change, and they're going to they're going to have a real issue just getting the guys coming in up to speed. You know, so something as minor as Henderson moving from second row to the blindside flank will have a big, big impact. And Donica Ryan then coming in an impact on a lot of those power plays, a lot of those positional plays. We have a set play, a line out. Where do we go? Who's going to be the runner out wide now? Sean O'Brien. He's not there. Is that going to be Henderson? Like, there's a whole lot of things you've got to learn, let alone saying, well, what is it we have to do specifically against Argentina? Because they're obviously a different boost to what France are and, and will pose, in my opinion, a significantly higher threat than France did. So if you change too much, um, it, the whole thing could go pear-shaped. You know, you could, get, you could really throw 
the the baby out with the bathwater. So it's a very difficult week for Joe. It's you know this, this isn't you could see Joe straight after the games what what makes him a great coach. He wasn't up doing the handstands and celebrating. He he was already on to to the Pumas. He it's was quite glum actually, if anything. Yeah, well he would have been. You know he knew what was he knew the week he had and it had started. The, the stopwatch had started. You know, full time. Okay, blimey, we've lost our captain. We've lost our money. You know, Johnny's in real doubt, and he didn't know about Keith then, and he probably didn't know. He probably knew uh, about what was was happening with Sean. You know, once, once, and he might have missed it. I, I missed it. We all missed it in the game. It wasn't until later in that half we were informed. We didn't see it, but let me tell you, San Andreas saw it. So he would have known about San Andreas' unhappiness with the situation. So he was confronted with this unbelievably difficult scenario, like a coaching nightmare in some ways. But he's also confronted with Argentina, a really good team, playing unbelievable rugby. Like the change in style that that team has gone through in the last 24 months is nothing short of a revolution. And they're doing it really well. Um, and he knows that they're going to present a, a hugely significant challenge defensively to to, um, to Ireland, a, a, a a challenge that they haven't faced so far in this tournament. Okay, well, let's talk a little bit more then about Argentina now with the legendary player from the country, the man who, unfortunately for us, scored the try to beat Ireland in Lons in 1999, Diego Albanese. Diego, how are you? I'm all right. How are you? Oh, we're good. We're all very excited about Saturday. And we've just been talking about the style of rugby that Argentina are playing. It seems like... Uh, we, we've always known about your forwards, about your physical strength, the passion, all those cliches. But it seems like uh, the, the running rugby being played now is very exciting. Well, it is. It is. And it's, it's exciting for us as well. You know, uh, I think um, there's two key points in Argentinian rugby during the last couple of years. One of them is that there, there, there's a structure who, that has been put in place. Uh, where you know where the the young players start to 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 practice their basic skills and um, and, and and that with the Jaguars playing Vodacom Cup in South Africa and uh, you know we we realized that in order to improve our game uh, we had to be much more much better in skills in in the basic skills. So that's why you can see now props or second rows playing and offloading and passing the ball. Maybe uh, 15 years ago we were they were supposed to to do the to to play the scrum and racks and uh, now they they can play with ball in hand, you know. So that's one part of the of the key points. And the other one is the rugby championship, mate. Uh, Argentina, when in our times in when we used to play. We had just five, six test matches in, a, in in one year. So, for example, we 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 toured to Ireland and we had to play Ireland, and we had just four or five days to prepare that game, you know. And now they are together for three, four months. They play against the best teams in the world every year: South Africa, Australia, New Zealand. So that's uh, that's huge because they. They, they 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 get used to play against the best teams in the world. Uh, another intensity, another speed. So you can see that now on the pitch, you know. Yeah, and not just playing against them, but also beating them, uh, winning against Australia last year. The victory in South Africa, I think, it was in Durban. This this championship was really impressive, Diego. Did that convince the players? Do you think that they do belong at that level? Well, that's. I think it was great for their confidence. You know, uh, what we, you know, Argentina was always committed on defense. They play with passion, but now they are confident with ball in hand. They they are not scared of playing and and pass the ball. And and uh, South Africa was. I don't think it was a turning point, but it was that win they were waiting for, where you can say, well, all the good things we are doing. <clears throat> they are they are paying off, you know. So uh, it was a great victory for us, great win, and and I hope that it will help them to to keep moving forward, you know. Matt, have they carried that into this tournament, Argentina? Do you think that style and that confidence? Yeah, it's really interesting what Diego is saying there about uh, the long term development, which is something I've been on about mm-hmm. for many years here in Ireland about our attacking structures. But it it, it, it you have seen this this growth and. 
you know, you don't get the the play that Argentina are displaying now without many years of, of basic work to get to that point. But when you're seeing it, you, you, so you're not going... Argentina just sat down at some point and said, we're never going to beat Australia, South Africa or New Zealand doing what we've always done. We're, we'll be... And exactly what Diego said, what we always see Argentina, they're brave, they're strong... You know, I'm back in the days when Freddie Mendes was the hooker and Topo Rodriguez, even when he came to Australia, you know, the, the powerful scrum and, and how they, they worked at it and, and committed defence and beautiful kickers, always beautiful kickers of the ball. But now we're seeing some glorious rugby, glorious ball in hand rugby. And, and guess what? It's beating the best teams in the world. And it's full credit to them for this long-term vision and the plan and, and being brave enough to join these competitions uh, next year there is a super, uh, an Argentinian team in the super competition, which again is another step from the Vodafone Cup, which was the old level of the Curry Cup that uh, uh, the Argentina had a team in. So there's all these development processes that Argentina have put in place that are, we're now seeing on the biggest stage in the world. It's fan- and it's fantastic. It's also been impressive, Diego. The supporters, the Argentinian supporters, are, seem very passionate. They're having a great time. We even saw Diego Maradona at one or two of the games. It looks like everybody enjoyed Maradona. Well, yeah, he's, a, he's, a, he's such a legend in Argentina. Maybe uh, the other day I was watching it from Argentina. I said one of those boys in the dressing room, they even didn't uh, see him, you know, playing. You know, they were 20-year-old. So uh, Maradona is more... From our uh, our time, you know. Now I think the, the the young boys from Argentina they are Messi's fans, you know, not Maradona's. But uh, you know, Diego is is uh, such a uh, an, an icon in Argentina uh, sports-wise, you know. And uh, and it was it was it was a good experience to see him with the team. Uh, but uh, as 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 uh, you said, uh, everything everything helps to. To, to this uh, RG team who is improving. And, and as you said before, uh, it was a matter of competing with the best and realizing that with the scrum and defense, we were not going to beat the best in the world, you know? Diego, uh, uh, Juan Martin Hernandez has reemerged uh, at this World Cup for the world to see. I know uh, he's always been there for Argentina. But again, his attacking play... Uh, is absolutely wonderful. Have you noticed a big change in him as uh, as a player? Well, yesterday, actually, I was talking with a friend of mine, and, and we were talking about that exactly, and said, it looks like he's got, uh, every time he's got a, a new little thing to show, you know? And uh, unfortunately, Juan had, has been a, a player who who got a lot of injuries, uh, so sometimes he couldn't get uh, uh, consistency, consistency or, or playing week in, week out for long periods of time. And now I think Juan is, is, uh, is again at his best, you know, and, and we can see that. He's, uh, he's maybe got the best boot in the world. Uh, I mean, uh, skillful, you know, he's a skillful player. He can kick 80 yards uh, kicks and uh, it's very important for the team. I, I hope he... He's got a, another great game against against Allen on Sunday. Of course, you don't hope that, but uh, uh, you know it's always good to see great players on the pitch. You know, he's like Paul O'Connor. You know, for I was so sad to hear he he, he has to retire this way because for a for a rugby fan like me, there's a, there are players who 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 is they are beyond their nationality. You, you always want to. To see a Paul O'Connell on the pitch, and I was, I will be in Cardiff on Sunday, and I would have loved to to see him playing. You know. Yeah. Okay, Diego. Just final question: Do you think Argentina will win? <laughs> I think it's going to be a contest of the, the the winner will win by less than five. Yeah, I think that's what we're thinking over here as well. Listen, uh, Diego Albanese. It's 50-50, mate. It's 50-50. 50-50, and there might be a, another hero like you were in 1999. Diego, great to talk to you. Thank you. Enjoy the game. Oh, it's, it's been my pleasure. Thank you very much. Bye-bye. All right, what, a, what an absolute gentleman Diego is there, the Diego Albanese. Matt, who seems... Uh, they're, all, they're all quietly confident, I think, in Argentina, and there's no reason that they shouldn't be. Um, I mean, even the performance against, uh, against New Zealand... I was watching the highlights of it yesterday. 
and you forget that they New Zealand were down to 13 men early, uh, late in the first half. They were still 14 men the start of the second half with Argentina in, in about a four-point lead. It's not just what they did in the championship or what they've been doing against the Minnows. That New Zealand performance against New Zealand for 60 minutes would concern me quite a bit. It should. They were magnificent, and it was really the New Zealand bench that came on, especially Sonny Bill Williams made a huge impact in that game. And that's where the New Zealanders have such a great advantage over just about everyone. That, that Argentina were the better team for maybe 50 minutes there, 60 minutes. And during that Sinbin period, they didn't manage that well. There was actually, uh, it was a turning point just before half time. They gave away three. They scored three. They carried the ball from the five metre scrum to within five metres of the uh, New Zealand try line with 14 men and then Conrad Smith gave away another one that brought him to the 13, Kick, kicked the goal, came back to halfway, then gave away a dumb penalty. So at the end of that half, the, the Sinbin period was 3-3. It's what New Zealand are geniuses at is managing those sort of crisis situations. Yeah. But we, if we take that aside, they were more than competitive against New Zealand. They, they actually dominated for long periods of that game. And this is not a, a side that's going to uh, come out in this particular game against Ireland and change the way they play. They're going to play the way they have been playing. And it's, it's, uh, it's, it's the thing with offloading. You don't miss the tackle. So you can you, – the defence doesn't miss the tackle. It's just great skill out of the tackle. So you can actually look down and go through that whole sequence and say, well, we actually didn't miss a tackle. The defence system didn't fail. We just had to go low because they got great footwork. We couldn't take stop the ball. We had to go low. And they've got the skill to offload and the support to take it. So that's why it destroys defences, and that's that's what they're doing better than almost any team in the competition. I think as well they've become a real 80-minute team. They won't crumble like France did, even if we go 9, 12 points up. They're going to keep coming at us. They're gritty. But just taking it back to Ireland, um, what do you think, like in terms of the rhythm of the team, the back row is so disrupted now, what do you think we should do with Henderson? How should the second row, back row lineup look? Well, from what we're hearing from the camp, I think Henderson will play six. Um, and you know that's that's correct. He he's he's playing like a six. Uh, he's a good ball carrier. He's a great defender. Uh, and and what's your next? What's your other options right now within the squad under the laws of the World Cup, which is Donica Ryan, who's a fine player who had a, a very good game earlier in the championship, uh, and put him in the second row. And, and he's a very mobile player as well. So that would look you know your line out is is in some ways. Uh, are still a solid line-out. It's who comes to the middle, which is probably going to be Devon. Who's going to call it? Dev will call that line-out. But it, it, again, all these changes, you know, they'll probably play Donica uh, at uh, at two. they probably play Henderson at six. They might change those around for certain balls. They might use Jamie a lot more uh, at the tail than they have in the past. There's some old line-outs that they've, they might bring back for this game. But just that one conversation, listen to all the changes we've just had to say. Mm. So, so then you play these lovely plays that Joe has. And he'd probably have a couple designed for Argentina. They look at the defence and say, where's the hole? The boys have to learn all this again. And then you get into a week where are they learning too much and not mastering anything? So sometimes the best thing to do as a coach is to cut back mm. and not, not to say, well, we can't go through everything. What can we do and what can we do really well? Now, remember, they've got an extra day, which they'll need this week. But then here's, here's the other part. Who's going to play 10? Now, I don't think Johnny's got a hope to be honest really yeah I personally but but I'm not I haven't heard anything from the camp but I just you know I've had I've had plenty of abductor strains myself and they're not a five-day turnaround injury. so you think maybe the camp maybe the management are just keeping the Argentinians guessing I, I think well I would yeah they, well uh, they're within the rights to do it absolutely and they've got look and then the, the you know things do happen miracles do happen but abductor strains are you know for a kicker particularly yeah yeah and you know, that, uh, it's like a cut. It's like an internal cut. And, you know, yourself cuts don't heal in four or five days. They take a week. And usually abductors are a two-week injury. And if, if it was only slight, they would have left him on. You know, it had to be something reasonably significant to bring him from the field of play. We'd thought he'd done a shoulder or something. He had a bang in the shoulder in that tackle. But So that he recovered well. But when you get up to top speed and you're changing direction, you know, you can really, you can really do some damage going forward. So, look, I, I think it would be, if, if, John, if um, Johnny plays, I think it would be highly unlikely, highly unlikely. I hope he does. But right now, he'd be training with, uh, with Madigan in there at 10. When, when Johnny was out of the camp, when he was with Racing Metro and Joe didn't have as much access to him as he wanted, 
there was talk of uh, Joe obviously really wants him back and pushed the RFU to get him back on a big contract that they just couldn't go through some of their plays. I mean, that's the thing about an out half. If he's injured halfway through the week, it, everything about your game changes. So they, I feel they have to have made up their mind about Madigan, especially given how well he played. They can say what they want about Sexton, we're positive, blah, blah, blah. But actually, they've decided on Madigan back on Monday. Oh, Madigan's definitely in the side, definitely training. And if Johnny comes through on Thursday, Friday, well, that'll be that. That's a bonus. But uh, all your plays got to go through ten, and Madigan needs that time because I think he'll play. Okay. Uh, just into yeah. sorry, Maddie. Uh, Madigan obviously got a lot of praise, and it's as if he came through his own sort of doubts in that game. But the difference between him starting and knowing all week that he's starting in a World Cup quarterfinal. Uh, versus him coming on and you know having to react to a situation and not having given it that thought all week, it's a completely different heads headspace. She's a different beast, um, but again, you know, sometimes a guy's just waited for so long, has had so many knockers, so many things put in his way at provincial level and national level, and uh, I've seen it before. We, you know, Bernard Foley's probably a great example of that. There's no way I thought Bernard Foley would develop into the player that he's developed into he was very poor early on but they get this these guys get this opportunity and they literally say listen i've waited so long stuff you i'm taking my chance and i don't you know i'll kill people in front of me to take my chance and you love seeing that you know chris henry's another great great young man i adore seeing chris play you know his story he couldn't get on the the ulster team because i wouldn't put him on and we had a couple of injuries and he was played and then he got injured in that game. It was against Harlequins. And then he got another game. And he played really well. Really well. And then he got another chance to play. He just kept getting better and better and better and played for played for all. And look at him back there doing what he's doing. He was, he was quite magnificent last week, Chris. Oh, there's no way I thought he was capable of that five, six years ago when I coached him. They're great stories. They're stories you love as a coach to be proved wrong. And I just think young, young Madigan's going to get out there and say, look, I've waited my whole life for this. This is my time, you know. Rest of you can bugger off. This is my time. And I hope he does. It's a great story. I'm getting excited. I want the game yeah, to start, yeah, start right now. Well, Predictions-wise, Matt, uh, not just this game, but who will make the semifinals? I know we're only touching on the other quarterfinals here. but Can we stop now? Yeah, <laughs> this is always a difficult a part. Yeah. Wow. Oh, man, this is the great beauty of this World Cup, not just the style of rugby and the crowds. Have, you know, give England their credit. It's been full. It's been... It's just been amazing. amazing World Cup. So good for the game. So good for everything that that is good about rugby has been on display in buckets. You know, except me having to pick who's going to win, which is, <laughs> which is also great because we don't. We truly anyone that sits there today and says we know who's going to make they're a liar. This is and this Scotland is, are going to lose. Well, <laughs> you're probably close there. there I, I, I I hope they do in some ways. But like to see Australia go through, but. Look, I think I think Australia. You, you've got to say the Southern Hemisphere teams in three of the semi-finals are red-hot favourites. New Zealand will beat Wales. They're, they're, they're uh, France. Uh, France uh, sorry, yeah. France. Sorry. Um, look, where do you start with France? Like they, they were just appalling. Now, I'm not taking anything away from what Ireland did, but they were just so disappointing and appalling. They have to change everything. However, at the '99 World Cup, I was just here as a punter. I just finished coaching the Waratahs, and I was walking down to the semi-final between France and New Zealand. And a bookie had them, France, at 18 to 1 in a two-horse race. And I said to a mate of mine who's a real estate agent, you want to go and put 10 on it? I said, listen, don't. I'm a, I'm a professional coach. You're going to throw your money away. And at half time when New Zealand were winning, he said, I said, uh, see, aren't you glad you listened to me? And at full time when France had beaten them, he's like, you idiot. And he's never let me forget it. So France, look, are they capable of those things? They are. Is this team? I don't think so. Um, South Africa should beat Wales. I think Wales are paying the price uh, for their injuries early on and the energy they had to put in to get to where they are, which is an om- ominous statement for Ireland. So how much did Ireland, how much, how much money in the bank did they spend last week? How much, uh, how much did that game take out of them, both physically and emotionally? Can they recover? Now, there's no doubt of the four Southern Hemisphere teams, they've got the the best bet, but it's not an easy bet. And that's going to be the close game. That's going to be the one that I don't really know who's going to win. Not even going to, not even going to offer a prediction. Oh, look, I, I, I think a lot's going to depend on who gets through this week uh, for, for Ireland, who starts. Because mm. we still don't even, we're not sure of the, side, of the sides. I think it's going to be so close. I, I'd actually say Argentina are going to go into this game favourites. Really? Yeah, I, I, definitely. With the, injuries, with the injuries and suspensions to Ireland, I, I think outside of Ireland, 
uh, Argentina are expected to win. And that would tell you something of of where things truly lie with it. You know, Australia will beat Scotland, but phew, it's going to be so close. Yeah, and the plus side to all that, it means any sense of, I don't know if complacency is the right word, but even among supporters, the there's the idea of avoiding New Zealand and getting Argentina. Of course, that's what we needed to do, but maybe any of the over-the-top optimism has been wiped out for what's been going on over the last few days and, and this week, I think. But, but another another day of unbelievable drama. Yeah, it'll be brilliant. It, incredible drama. Matt, great stuff, as always. Thanks a million. Pleasure, guys. The flame hair, the flame hair, flame truth, Mr. Ken Early. Mr. Ken Early. Mr. Ken Early. Mr. Ken Early. Every so often, I'm on the bus and I suddenly turn around to bite someone. John Hayes, I'm talking about, Owen. Yeah. John Hayes. Now, I always thought that was ridiculous. He had won the victory over himself. He loved Brendan Rogers. On sight. That's where it goes from. On sight. Thanks a lot, Pepe. How much do I give a fuck? Fair to say, anybody could have managed those guys? No, of course not. Let me show you right now for you give it up. Oh, yeah, it, the build-up to f- the France game, the, it turned out to be worth it because it was so amazing. But the build-up, God, it went on forever. It was just, it literally went on years. for a couple of it years. Was, it was. <laughs> I, think it, it, I think Conor McNamara said on TV3 that the draw had been made two and a half years. That's there was right. nothing more yeah. to say, um, and the build-up just got, it, the, tr- through nobody's fault, that's just the way it was going to be. Whereas this is, because you, we didn't know it was definitely happening until Sunday night, we were nearly counting the bodies for a couple of days of suspensions. It's only really ramping yeah, up now. It's been a busy week. Yeah, it's been a busy week. It's just so exciting coming into this one as well. What's Simon Hicks, Ireland 15, to take on Argentina? That's what everybody wants to know, isn't yeah. it? Um, I think Jack McGrath might uh, start in the front row, should uh, start in the front row, ahead of Keane Healy. Right. Who still doesn't look like he's back at the sort of match sharpness. Uh, obviously, Best and Ross. Um, Dev Toner is going to start in the second row. I think bring Dunnock Ryan in. Yeah, and then Henderson in the back row. Yeah, why, Henderson why not back- Henderson? Uh, well, Henderson's going to play in the back row. Unleash the fella. Just give him a little more space to roam. Um, it looks like it's his natural position. Um, so he'll have even more impact in the open play. Um, then we'll have Heaslip. Chris Henry has been playing brilliantly. Yeah. Like, would be in most Irish teams, just that with so much depth there anyway. Uh, Murray, obviously. Um, Madigan. Well, are we going to play seven? We're, we're going to play seven forwards, are we? No, that was eight, Chris wasn't Henry, it? Heaslip, Henderson, Dev Tone, Dodd Ryan, Ross Did- Best, Jack McGrath. Didn't mention Jamie Heaslip, but that's fine. That's no problem. Listen, he's such an ever-presence. He's, so, he, you know, he's so he's ubiquitous. Just it's, he's it's just, just I think we'll pick our captain, Merv. Okay. Well, I mean, I, well, you, well were, you, were going with, you were going with seven forwards. Murray, so. obviously, uh, I agree with Maddie that Madigan is going to start, and that Ireland have known this all week. Um, Henshaw, Earls are going to back him to recover from his arm injury. Yeah. Uh, even though, as you say, he couldn't, <laughs> he couldn't raise it at the game. <laughs> yeah. To I even just celebrate. If, there was, if that was the only injury, uh, people would have been talking about Earls all week. But he. he, he Face the media yesterday, and he seems to be okay. They probably wouldn't have bothered putting him out in front of the media unless he was all right to play. So who else? And then play? back three, the best looking back three Ireland have ever had: the two Carnies and Tommy Bo. And yeah. I think Sean Cronish come out of the bench. Yeah, I love Sean Cronin. Yeah, uh, yeah, no, that sounds good. Sorry, and what would the bench be? Have you have you thought? Well, we... Paddy Jackson has to come onto it. So yeah. we, we were talking off air, weren't we, about the possibility of Sexton's really close to making it, and there are positive soundings from the Irish team that you have him on the bench. And if you're really like you're twelve points down, and you need something extravagant to happen, then Sexton might be worth it. Yeah, personally, I'm I'm not sure about that. Uh, I just think that yeah, okay, you're going into the competition, but if you bring a guy on, if he's injured. He's injured when it's a groin, when it's something like that. Yeah, but no, no but it's one of those. Where I, oh no, yeah, and it's high risk. I know, but it's it's all well and good saying. Well, there'll only be fifteen minutes left. But what if he comes on and after one minute he has to come back off again? It's this sort of Henry Shefflin against uh, for Kilkenny that time against Tip. I'm, I'm not sure about it, but I, I can see the sort of logic behind that. So you might put Sexton on the bench if he was ten percent fit. Or yeah. 75%. I just think it's not as if Jackson is an experienced closer anyway. If if you had him on the bench, maybe an injured section would be. Okay, we're getting excited about it anyway. We're actually traveling to Cardiff tonight. We're going to finish recording and head out to the airport because we've got a very special episode of our TV show, Second Captains Live, on Saturday night, 10 o'clock on RT2. Big match build up from Cardiff with Ron O'Gara, Shane Horgan. We'll have Argentinian voices there and loads of other great guests are lined up. So that's 10 o'clock on RT2 on Saturday night. Looking forward to that. Ken? The Irish Times Second Captain's Football Podcast is out now. That's. Yeah. They have asked for that, really. Well, you can laugh. I'm the World Cup. I'm a little bit of an idealist. 
But having said that, I want to be like me. What are you doing down here, you shiny man? Well, and we are going to talk about a couple of books, one of which I've read and one of which I haven't. <laughs> uh, the one that I've read is Das Reboot, uh, which is Raphael Honigstein's story about German football's reinvention and world conquest. And the other one is Big Sam. Yeah. I haven't read the book, but I have read the extracts. We'll talk a little bit about Sam Allardyce uh, and, other, and other things. Incidentally, Owen, um, maybe some people have already listened to the football podcast. At that point, we hadn't heard Rafael Benitez's retort to Sam Allardyce. Go on. Uh, Sam Allardyce obviously had a bit of a pop at Rafa. Rafa's had a little pop back. And I think he's actually had the pop, unless the uh, photographs I'm seeing are misleading, while making this little gesture with his hand which is to say on holding his hand up and then holding his thumb and index finger just a couple of millimetres apart as though to indicate something really so small. So small. Uh, and he says, uh, do you know who Sam Allardyce is? Do you know how many trophies he has won? Well, that's my answer. <laughs> it, it is what happens when someone has a book to sell. His opinion does not have a lot of value. That's Rafael Benitez, Real Madrid manager, putting Sam Allardyce back in his box. Time now for U.S. Murph. Yes, we have to say it. Remember, this is just a football game, no matter who wins or loses. I am deeply sorry for my irresponsible and selfish behavior. You're being extremely truculent. Whatever truculent means, if that's good, I'm there. Strike three called, and the Giants have won the World Series in Detroit. Brian Murphy, it's been a few weeks. How are you? It is. Absence makes the heart grow fonder, boys. And Owen, I know it's just you there. And uh, huge, I know you got a huge, huge, huge week for you up ahead with all the soccer and the, and the rugby. So I'm honored you made time to reach out to your old pal in your old favorite city of San Francisco. So uh, good to be back, Owen. Yeah, well, good to talk to you as well. And we're getting to you at a, at a great time in American sport. Well, it would be a great time if you're from Chicago, Brian. I made the I mentioned earlier on in the program that uh, when we were heading over to visit you in San Francisco earlier on in the year, I was talking to the we were doing pre-clearance for immigration on uh, the Dublin side on the Irish side of things, and the American, uh, you know, the way they usually they can be a little bit um, overly fussy sometimes when you know just checking your passport and checking your visa and all those kind of things. Yeah. Well, this guy was reasonably friendly; he was okay to start with, and then. He asked, asked me what I was doing over there. I mentioned that I was going over to cover some baseball, this kind of stuff. And he lit up and we, were, we started talking Cubs for about five minutes. And he told me that he wanted nothing more than for his mother to live long enough. Um, oh, you know, she might only have a few years left to live long enough that she can see the Cubs win the World Series. And they might just be on the way. <laughs> You are, uh, you know, what's so funny is I, so I don't, I remember when we started doing this show together, were we doing it in 04 when the Red Sox won the World Series? I don't I think it was a short time after so. that. I think it was. Were we? No, I think it was a short time after that, as in, I don't think we, we would have been quite, I'd say it was more like, oh, I would have been 05, 06, probably. Yeah, 05, 06. So, so, I mean, because I was going to say, take all the uh, emotions that we talked about in 2004 <laughs> and you apply them because the boss, when the Boston Red Sox won the World Series in 2004, I, I honestly thought it was the most remarkable American sports story I had seen since the 1980 Lake Placid hockey team, which, of course, is part of your spectacular intro to the U.S. Murph segment every week there. Do you believe in miracles? It wasn't just that the Red Sox won the World Series for the first time since 1918. They came back in a best-of-seven series from down 3-0 to the New York Yankees, who had owned them for a century. It was an amazing story. It was so dramatic, and it was so great. And they had been through so much tragedy and heartbreak as far as sporting tragedy and heartbreak goes with all these Game 7 losses through the years that I didn't think anything could match the Red Sox. Well, here we are 11 years later, and we're not there yet. We're only at the League Championship Series, which would be the semifinals of baseball. But the Chicago Cubs are going to come damn close to replicating all that emotion and all that energy and all that heart that the Red Sox did because, Owen, 
and we've talked about this maybe before, but to refresh people's memory, they have not won a World Series since 1908. Mm. 1908. It is impossible to wrap your brain around that. Their field, Wrigley Field, which I know we've talked about through the years, and I took a trip out there with my buddies this year to just experience the majesty of a – majesty is the wrong word – the atmosphere of this cramped, damp, old ballpark that's just filled with ghosts and history. It was built and opened in 1914, which I believe – I want to say it was opened the year the Titanic sank. Is that right? I, something like that. I think it was opened the same week that the Titanic <laughs> sank. i got to double-check my facts on that, but I think I'm close to the truth there. And now, 101 years later, this week in Chicago at Wrigley Field, this outdated historic you know, American jewel, like almost like the White House. You got Fenway, Wrigley, and the White House would be like the three most important buildings in America. They beat the St. Louis Cardinals in the league division series, which is basically the quarterfinals. And the Cardinals are like the Yankees to them. They've been the big brother who, as their general manager said, has been kicking sand in their face for a hundred years. And they've never clinched a series at Wrigley Field, the Cubs, in, in the postseason in October. So the the scenes of joy and happiness where we're you couldn't wipe the smile off your face watching it, and now they're one step closer to that dream of that immigration's official for his mm-hmm. mom, and that's what it's going to be like. It's going to be generations. It's going to be history. It's going to be tears, joy, song, chanting, uh, standing, energy. And I'm telling you, Owen, this Cubs team is loaded with young talent, and they hit home runs like crazy, so they're really fun to watch too. So. If my Giants can't be in it, I sure am, and I hope all the Irish, too, are enjoying the heck out of a potential deep run by the Chicago Cubs here. Yeah, but the big question, as always, Brian, with any great sports team is, what celebrity fans have you got? (laughs) It's true, man. They are defined by that. Um, well, there, there he was right next to the dugout yesterday. The actor, John Cusack, who I, Good, yeah. I've enjoyed his work through the years, you yep. know, famously for holding the boom box in the say anything scene, playing Peter Gabriel's in, in your eyes. Remember that the, uh, the most romantic thing done in the eighties when he stood outside of, uh, Ioni Sky's, uh, b- bedroom playing in your eyes out of the boom box. He was there. You got your Jim Belushi, his brother of John. You got your Bill Murray, of course, Bill Murray being Mr. Chicago, but the guy who's stealing all the thunder because he's just as aggressive and enthusiastic a fan as I've seen as far as big name guys is Pearl Jam lead man Eddie Vedder. Oh yeah. And I got yes, and he's uh, oh and he's he's I mean, some guys kind of bandwagon in. Oh yeah, I'm a Cubs fan. You know, President Obama always says he's a White Sox fan, but when you when you question him about it, he kind of stumbles over some facts, you know. It's like he's not his chops aren't that deep. Eddie Vedder's chops run pretty deep. He was born and raised in the north side of Chicago, and even though he's affiliated with Seattle and the Pearl Jam movement up in Seattle, his baseball roots and his childhood roots, and I've talked to you so many times about how I know um, um, Europeans and Irish don't really get into baseball or understand it, but it's such a childhood link for Americans that he remembers going back to Wrigley Field as a kid, and that's what he never forgets. He wrote a song called Someday We'll Go All the Way, and uh, there's some footage out of um, of him bringing all the Cubs up on stage this summer. The boys are locked in arms. They're swaying back and forth, singing the chorus. Someday we'll go all the way, boys. Someday we'll go all the way. And they just might. So um, the energy, or as my on-air partner, Polly Mack, would call it, the particles surrounding the Cubs are mighty right now. I saw the manager said, Joe Madden said, I think it gives our fan base hope for the future. They're not waiting for something bad to happen all of the time. Something good is on the horizon, not something bad. Just just to reiterate <laughs> that they're always waiting for something bad to happen. How miserable has their history been? You know, it's funny. So I talked about the Red Sox and the, you know different tragedies. And, and you guys can relate different sporting clubs over there or counties in GAA that have tragic histories. So the Red Sox and Cubs are the two most tragic teams in American sports. And the reason why the Red Sox were tragic was because of how close they got all the time. In 1946, they lost Game 7 of the World Series. In 1967, they lost Game 7 of the World Series. In 1986, they had the World Series wrapped up. The Mets the Mets stadium congratulated the Red Sox on their championship. They just needed to get one out and a ground ball went through Bill Buckner's legs. Even though even I think everybody around the world knows about that one. And so, so the Red Sox had this tragedy of close, 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 close. Well, the Cubs are just flat losers and they have just been losers forever. And they barely ever made noise, but I have to pick out three 
historical things that you need to know if you're going to get into this Cubs thing. In 1945, the last time they went to a World Series, they didn't win, but they went to the World Series, and a Greek restaurant owner of the Billy Goat Tavern brought a goat to the game. This is what you did in 1945. You just bring a goat to the game, but the Wrigley Field ticket taker said, you can't bring the goat in the game, and the Greek restaurant owner was very upset, and he said, I want to bring my goat in. He said, you can't bring the goat in. So theoretically and legendarily, he placed a curse, a curse on the Cubs. It's called the curse of the Billy Goat. So you need to know that going forward. They have never won a World Series since the curse of the Billy Goat. In 1969, they had a great team, and they were ready to go to the World Series, and then they uttered, they suffered a huge collapse in 1969 to the Miracle Mets. The Mets who won the World Series that year were considered this miracle team. And what happened was, while the Cubs were collapsing, one of their most famous players, Ron Santo, who's a Hall of Famer who recently passed away, was in the on-deck circle, and a black cat trotted onto the field right in front of Ron Santo. And nobody knows where the cat came from, how it got on the field. Nobody had ever seen it before. But the Cubs collapsed from that moment on, and it was believed to be the curse of the black cat of crossing Ron Santo's path. So you had 45 Billy Goat curse, 69 black cat. And then, of course, I think we've talked about this on the air. In 2003, they had a damn good team, and they were one win away from going to the World Series. They were up three games to two on the then Florida Marlins, and they had a big lead in the eighth inning of a game, but the Marlins were rallying until a guy hit a pop-up down the left field line, and Moise Salou, their left fielder, went to go catch it until a fan wearing headphones and a turtleneck reached over and took it away from Moise Salou and made the at-bat continue, which led to a rally that the Marlins turned into a victory and the Cubs never reached the World Series. And that guy's name was Steve Bartman. We've talked about him before. He's just, everybody knows him. He's one of the most famous figures in American sports. He, he reached out and interfered. Even though he was a lifelong Cubs fan, he took the ball away from Moises Alou and led to the Cubs collapse. He has not been seen, guys, for 12 years, Owen. He has not been seen. If he ever made a reappearance, I don't know. The, the, the Chicago might burn to the ground. I don't know. But... So you got your Billy Goat, you got your Black Cat, and you got your Bartman all going into this uh, 2015 run here. This has to be the return of Bartman, surely, Brian. This is the time. <laughs> he, he comes back in a blaze of glory when they're, you know, only one out away from winning. They're four, they're three <laughs> nothing up going into game four. Here comes, Can you imagine? Yeah. Can you imagine? I mean, but the thing is, I've actually read from Cubs fans, because there is a heavy interest now, would Bartman ever be found again? He's gone underground. I, I think I read somebody, some journalist tried to find him and... I thought I read that he had moved to Michigan or something. Seriously, the guy's life was ruined. Really, his life was ruined because people wanted to kill him. They really did. It was terrible. And uh, and the poor guy, I think he lived at home with his parents in his 20s. He was such a cub lunatic. He had the walk. He had a cheesy little Walkman on, like from the from the 80s, like a little orange foam Walkman speakers. He was listening to the radio broadcast at the game. True geeks, only true geeks do that. And he apparently is just this lifelong Cubs fan. He just devoted to the Cubs, and he cannot believe he was beyond devastated that he became the guy who prevented the Cubs from going to the World Series. So I think he'd gone underground. I have read that some people are saying it's time to bring him back and give him a standing ovation and, and never let the cheers end. As, you know, maybe he throws out the first pitch or something at a World Series game. I don't know. But I'm like, I don't even know if I'd cheer him if I was a Cubs fan because he's still screwed up by making the play in front of Moises Alou. He's still got to wear that. Do you forgive Steve Bartman is the question Cubs fans will have to ask themselves if indeed it gets this far. We are getting a little ahead of ourselves, though, because they do have a very difficult National League Championship Series against either the Dodgers or the Mets. They have one more game to go. And if it's the Dodgers... Boy, they have the two best pitchers in baseball named Clayton Kershaw and Zach Greinke. They would be very difficult, but maybe the Cubs with their young bats. And I'm telling you, these guys, they hit homers like crazy. And they're all young and they're all kind of, they don't know any better. And they're under the auspices of this very engaging and charismatic manager named Joe Madden. Maybe they'll be enough, but they got to get through either the Dodgers or the Mets to get to the World Series. And then we can have our Bartman return. Yeah, they had to win a big pressure game, though, to get this far. It was a, sort of a wild card game, for want of a better term, or is that yeah, even the term? Yeah. yeah, we have this new invention in baseball only the last four years called the wild card game. And this is a, a bit of a controversy. We've developed this system now where it's just a play-in game, kind of like I believe Irish soccer has coming up, right? Against uh, And by the way, just indulge me for a moment, Owen. 
who are who are we? Can I say we? Yeah. Who are Ireland playing in the uh, play-in game for Euro 2016? Oh well, there's no decision yet because the final groups were only decided last night. The other team, there were a good few groups still to be decided. So we've we're going to have one of Ukraine, Sweden, Bosnia, or I think Hungary. Yeah, that's the other team. Mm. So there there are eight teams in the playoff: four seeded, four unseeded. Ireland are unseeded, so we've won of those four, none of which are world beaters, but all of which would probably be favourites against us. Obviously, we had that amazing day, that amazing night against Germany. It was absolutely unbelievable. Unfortunately, we had, we had this, this stuffing knocked out of us a little bit since by Poland, but Germany was amazing, yeah. I knew, you know, I could see two things happening there, man. I, I, one, that game was, the, the Germany game was on ESPN here, live in the US. It was oh, incredible. Yeah. It was like, so it got massive exposure. Brilliant. It was fantastic. Shane Long, man. That was, <laughs> that was Goosebump City, man. 78th minute. That was a pass Neuer. Nobody gets one pass Neuer, right? And then, um, and then I knew they'd have a letdown in Poland. I just knew it. You know, it was going to be hard to come back from that. But so um, anyway, that play-in game, that's just a one and done. Whoever you play, right? Just one? Well, no. Or is it home two, and home? Two legs. Home and away. Home and away playoff. Yeah. Okay. So that's even more than that you get in a wild card game. Wild card game, now they've invented this, is just one game. So what we do is we have three divisions in each of the American and National League. So the three division winners rest for a few days, and then we have two wild cards. Those are the two best teams that didn't win their division, and they play one game, one game, and the winner moves on to join the other three in a four-man, a four-team pod. And so the Cubs, even though they won 97 games this year, which is a lot of games, I mean, if you ever win 97 games, that's fantastic. They finished third in their division because the Pittsburgh Pirates won 98 games and the St. Louis Cardinals won 100 games. It was just crazy good baseball in their division. So they had to play the Pittsburgh Pirates in a one-game playoff in Pittsburgh, which is a great sports city, and was rocking and ready to go. But the Cubs have a guy, and you remember our guy Madison Bumgarner. Mm. I know you guys... We talked about him last year, and then you guys came all the way to San Francisco, and you saw him hit a homer off of Clayton Kershaw, which is one of the great moments of the year, really. And so he was so sensational last October. The Cubs have a guy like that. His name is Jake Arietta, and that's the name you got to follow if you get into this. He has been unhittable, and he went into Pittsburgh in that raucous environment and shut the Pirates down, and the Cubs won that game. They celebrated mightily. Some thought they celebrated too much. Because they still had to go play the St. Louis Cardinals, who won 100 games and have been their rival and have been just their genetic superior for a century. And they went ahead and smacked the Cardinals three games to one. So they are loose and rollicking and Eddie Vedder singing and, and, and Wrigley is just pulsating with energy. I hope the Irish over there get a chance to see and if you can just feel the energy coming out of Wrigley Field. It's just one of the great – I mean, honestly, if I had to pick greatest environments in American sports – Whew. I mean, Wrigley would be in the final, final, final discussion with maybe old Yankee Stadium, Fenway Park before it became gentrified with all these Fairweather fans and, uh, you know, maybe a couple college football environments. But man, oh, man, Wrigley Field is an American institution and they they are feeling it right now so i'm enjoying the heck out of it i really am rooting for him Brian, i'm glad you saw the germany game i don't know you probably wouldn't have got to see any of the rugby world cup but we have taken care of france and we're building up this week to cardiff sunday one o'clock irish time ireland against argentina quarterfinals we've never been to a semi-final of a rugby world cup despite all the great mm. players in the last 10 15 years will we do it will we beat argentina i can't even believe you're putting this ball in my court after my just I just flamed out in the GAA summer of 2015. <laughs> I mean, you just picture. I mean, I, you could not have been a ship scuttling on the rocks more than me making a bad pick for every <laughs> GAA match. Don't you think I should politely decline? Well, this one's a lot easier, Brian. Because yeah, I mean, this one's a lot easier because you just say Ireland and, and give some reason <laughs> for it. You know, <laughs> it's all we want to hear. Why don't we say? Why don't we say Ireland and the Cubs? As Eddie Vedder sings, he's singing to the Irish when he says, someday we'll go all the way, boys. <laughs> he's talking to you guys. Green on Sunday, Owen, all the way. Brian, that's what you want to hear. Bye, on. Thanks a million. All the best. Have a great one, Owen. Oh, God, I have to say, I just think they've got to move heaven and earth to get Steve Bartman to throw out the first pitch at this at the start. No, wait till the World Series and then throw out the first pitch. Hmm. With Eddie Vedder, their celebrity fan there, maybe the two of them together. Eddie Vedder could be catcher or something like that. And Steve Bartman could. Just I really throw think that that's an out. extraordinarily bad idea for all concerned. It's the though. way to face down their fatalism. We're all fa facing down fatalism this week. Confront your worst 
moment, take mm. this guy, put him in the middle there, cheer him to the rafters, and say to the, your opposition, "We're not going to be beaten. We've we, we, we've put a, but, we've put all our baggage to one side." <clears throat> okay, on, but I'm going to come at it from the the side of Steve Bartman. If I'm part of Steve Bartman's inner circle, <laughs> right, and he comes to me and he says, "Murphy says, should I throw out the first pitch?" the opening game of the World Series. And I would say, Steve, I don't think that's a good idea because through no fault of your own, the Cubs may well lose that series and then for no reason whatsoever, you will once again be blamed for a hideous Chicago Cubs defeat. You did nothing. All you did was throw out the opening pitch uh, for dubious psychological reasons, you know, owing to the team's fatalism. I don't think that that's a good idea. I think, I think it's right. a really bad idea. One. From his side, yes. From the Cubs' side, I think it's... Uh, I suppose from the players' point of view, I mean, they would they would barely get a mention. It would be all Steve Bartman's fault. And it's, as if, they, it, it's as if they weren't even... They, would, they hadn't even showed up. All right, congratulations before we go. It's Michael Conlon. Uh, amazing final yesterday. Amazing performance from him right through the World Championship to become Ireland's first male amateur boxing champion he was knocked down if you didn't see it knocked down in the final round which was a little bit jarring and a little bit of a shock there but there were 30 seconds ago and he recovered fairly well uh, having dominated everything else those things can happen so well done to him absolutely amazing stuff Joe Ward is in action this evening Thursday yeah, evening 6 o'clock uh, live on the RTE player uh, that's 6 o'clock Thursday as you say uh, Irish time and it will be on the RTE player and it would be absolutely amazing having never had uh, world Championship gold medal winner to have two inside 24 hours. Quick reminder before we go, next Wednesday night, if you're around, if you're anywhere in the Dublin area, uh, around town, the 21st of October, we're going to be live in the Sugar Club with thanks to Rabo Direct, going to do a show there, looking ahead to the playoffs, the Republic of Ireland's playoffs uh, that will be a couple of days away from who, uh, from finding out the identity of our opponents in that one and hopefully we'll be looking forward to Ireland against, I would say Australia, Ireland against Scotland. That's, let's be really optimistic here. We're going to be looking forward to Ireland against Scotland in the World Cup semi-final. Enjoy the game on Sunday wherever you're watching it. Thanks, Murph. Thank you, uh, Ken. And thank, thank you, you Karen. Thank you, all. Thanks, guys. Thanks for listening. Take care. deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Need new glasses or want a fresh new style? Warby Parker has you covered. Glasses start at just 95 bucks, including anti-reflective, scratch-resistant prescription lenses that block 100% of UV rays. Every frame's designed in-house, with a huge selection of styles for every face shape. And with Warby Parker's free home try-on program, you can order five pairs to try at home for free. Shipping is free both ways, too. Go to warbyparker.com covered to try five pairs of frames at home for free. WarbyParker.com slash covered.